Today's episode is brought to you by Theatrical Index. Theatrical Index has been the comprehensive resource for theater professionals for over 40 years. Yeah, it's an accurate, factual, and up-to-date listing of all the shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, touring productions, and the premieres across the country. It's an insider's guide to the who, what, when, and where of theater business. Subscribers can find out what's happening now or next year, as well as who is working to make it happen. And now the information goes deeper with new web features, including exclusive interactive grosses section, custom pro lists, and more. For more information on subscriptions or how to get a copy of Theatrical Index, go to theatricalindex.com or email their customer service at circulation at theatricalindex.com. Hello, hello. It's your host, Tiffany Springle. I never know how to start these. Um, so I guess this is, I mean, the way to start is just to do it, right? I don't know if you can hear the rain. It's pretty rainy. No snow. It's a holiday season. I am recording this on Monday, December 11th. Um, and it's a really good episode, everybody. Um, I think it's probably one of my favorite interviews we've done for the podcast so far. I think it, it just has a really nice flow and um, I really love how we touch on some topics I don't think get discussed enough. And it's with someone who I'm just really excited to showcase and you know, uh, lift up and, um, not that they need me to be the one lifting them up. Don't get me wrong. Their careers, um, going to skyrocket because the reviews are out, baby. They're doing great. Um, so my guest today is Ashley Wool and she is making her Broadway debut in the new musical, How to Dance in Ohio. It is such a special show. And it just opened officially yesterday. And we recorded um, her interview, her sit-down interview, right before they had started rehearsals for the opening of the show and for previews. So, you know, there was that anticipation period that she was going through at the time of the conversation. And as of now, when I'm uh, recording the pre-interview little piece of audio, um, the intro, if you will, it's opened. She had the red carpet today. Um, and, I, yeah, it's, it's doing great. The reviews seem to be pretty, pretty amazing. Let me, let me pull it up and read a couple to you. Um, I know that Ashley is being kind to herself about listening and reading the reviews on her own time, but just a couple of the good ones, um, which they're all good is, uh, let me see here. Oh no, they're going to buy, buy too quickly. I went to the website to see a couple of them. All right. So I'm going to read it quickly. All right. Uh, the next one they're popping up. Let's see. Okay. So groundbreaking and big hearted, a Broadway first from variety. What's the next one? How to dance in Ohio makes me believe in Broadway. Once again, theater really, uh, How to Dance in Ohio offers a new vision for Broadway. That's a good one. Theater mania. Broadway's most original new musical, It Will Stay With You, from The Daily Beast. Groundbreaking, thoughtful, and poetic, this feel-good show is a milestone from The New York Times. Um, I'm so excited for Ashley, and I'm so excited for the show to exist. Um, so... 
a few cool things about the show. Um, this show uh, is a original musical, um, but it is based on the Peabody Award-winning HBO documentary, How to Dance in Ohio. I believe that came out in 2015. I'm saying that off the top of my head. But it is a heart-filled new musical that explores the need to connect and, um, and the courage it takes to step out into the world. Um, some of the parts of the bio on the website says, at a group counseling center in Columbus, Ohio, seven autistic young adults prepare for a spring formal dance, which is a rite of passage that breaks open their routines and sets off hilarious and heartbreaking encounters. Um, it's a small ensemble cast. I believe it's a cast of seven. Um, I could be wrong. Um, I believe there are some adult characters as well, but it's such a special show. And um, we talk in at depth about the show and the context and the uh, behind the scenes creative process and development of it. So I'm not going to go too much into that here, but this is a show that I know is going to change lives. And I think I, I kept gushing about that in the interview, but I really, really am so happy it exists. And I'm so honored to know Ashley and, um, you know, to be witnessing this flourish. And, you know, I'm not very good at knowing how to handle my own success or my own attention. I actually just got back from LA not too long ago um, for the Shorty Awards. And we were nominated in four categories um, for Roe v. Bros, and we won three. And then we also won an audience award. And, you know, my brain truly was not expecting to win or it didn't even consider the possibility. So I was very surprised. Um, we had, we, we, we got, uh, the awards and, you know, um, I get kind of shy with that kind of attention. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I, th I think it's really an honor and I'm much more excited to just get to be in the room with other people I really respect and admire and, um, talk to them. Like for instance, at the award ceremony, my table, I, I flew out and didn't fly out with my team. So, you know, I'm in this, uh, very amazing theater in LA, downtown LA. And, you know, I'm where everyone's dressed and looks so glamorous and there's like the red carpet area. And, um, I didn't have anyone that I knew. So I just, went to my table and, oh, sorry, I have dogs and my dog just dropped his bone. But, um, yeah, but I, I went to a table and, and introduced myself and everyone was so kind and warm and they were all also nominated. And I just had the best time chatting with them all and getting to know them and know about their projects and, you know, what are their creative pursuits and their, their, uh, drive and their stories. And, um, yeah, I would say that was the highlight for me was just connecting with these people and um, celebrating one another and celebrating that, you know, there is good work being done on social media and there's good work being done in art in general. And I think to summarize, How to Dance in Ohio is another example of that. You know, I think it's just art can be so powerful and I think it can lead to empathy. It can lead to education. It can lead to... Um, better understanding, uh, the people around us and the stories maybe we don't always get to hear. Um, and I'm just so thrilled for Ashley. Like I, I, 
you know, to go back to this. I'm just so, so happy for her. And, you know, I, I just feel like my friends are killing it right now. And I'm, I'm just so happy. I have another friend that, uh, just flew back a couple hours ago, um, from a very big film project. And, um, she, I couldn't be happy for her. She's one of my favorite people in the, the whole world. And then, you know, um, I posted on my Instagram about this just because it probably seems so random, but I was just so happy, um, truly, and just so excited for them. But, um, I was on an improv team, an indie improv team with Randall Otis, and we both came up from the UCB scene together. And when you're doing improv, I mean, it is not a, you got to leave your ego at the door. You're going to be doing silly stuff. You're going to be embarrassing yourself all the time. The improv may go great, may go bad, and you got to put the hours in to get better at it. Um, so Randall was already amazingly funny, already had been doing stand up for years and improv and sketch and, uh, you know, very, very good. Um, but he was on my indie team and I always really admired him and just a really nice guy, really intelligent. Um, just, just a cool person, uh, way cooler than me. And, uh, our coach was Kate Sisk and, um, Kate is also just an amazing person, just such a, if you were in the UCB scene, you knew Kate, um, you would see Kate on stage all the time. And Kate would always come and coach us for two to three hours, um, weekly. And, you know, then we were doing shows and reps at, um, basement theaters for maybe like four or five people and, you know, doing the indie cage match at UCB. And, um, our team was called hobby horse, um, which if you haven't heard of hobby horse sport, it's a fascinating thing. And you, you should definitely Google it after this. Um, but we had our own little hobby horse and we would like, I would ride it on stage or, or our other teammate, Jovan would. Um, I don't know if Randall ever did. Randall was so cool. Randall, Randall is so cool. And, um, anyways, uh, just long story short, this was years ago. We were on a team together. And then since then, both of them have had such great success, um, and slowly been moving up in the comedy world. Um, Randall, I believe is still, um, is, uh, a writer on the daily show. And that's been really cool to watch him just shine there as well. And, um, Kate's been just doing a ton of stuff. Like I said, she's also a UCB, um, uh, icon. She's just someone you, you know, in that scene. And, um, regarding, uh, both of them, they were on the comedy central Instagram page, uh, their videos and their, um, standup uh, because both of them are getting, um, a, like standup showcase specials. Um, I believe in they're in the same, same video series. And so they were advertising that on comedy central and I was just like seeing them side by side, their videos, um, side by side and seeing like so many people get to see their work and embrace that. And just knowing how many hours they've put into getting there and doing what they're doing, it just made me so happy. Like, so, so happy. And I just couldn't stop smiling. And I was, um, uh, messaging with Kate after I posted and I was like, Kate, I know this was so random. Um, and we had talked a little bit off and on recently about career stuff anyways, but I was just telling Kate that I, you know, I know it's random, but I just want to celebrate you. Like, this is just so amazing. And I feel to go back to today's episode, I feel the same way for Ashley. I, Ashley has worked so hard. We met, and we discussed this during the interview, but I believe we met about 11 years ago is what we determined in an audition. 
um, we, we both are singers and, you know, we were auditioning for, I believe a tour. Um, we once again, talk about this more in the interview, but, um, you know, Ashley is so intelligent and so well-versed and inquisitive and, um, curious. And like I said, just such a hard worker and we've kept in touch over the years and it's just so, so exciting to see good people and people who work hard succeed and to see other people start to recognize, um, just how special they are, um, as well. Um, and I just can't wait to continue cheering her on. I haven't seen the show yet, um, mainly because I was in LA and, you know, just life has been really busy, but I am so excited to see it. I plan to bring her flowers. Um, Ashley, that's a little head up, heads up that I'll be sending that over for security. But um, yeah, I'm just so happy for you. And uh, I'm so happy for you all to get to hear the episode. So I'm not going to waste any more time on it. Um, just a couple details about Ashley. She's making her Broadway debut in the show. Um, and some shows she's done is How to Dance in Ohio, of course, um, when she was at Syracuse, which she'll talk about in the interview. She's also been in Xanadu, Little Shop of Horrors, and Company. Everyone loves Company. Um, and she says uh, which one of these was one of her favorite musicals. So wait till the end to find out. Um, without further ado, Ashley Wool. Hey, I think of you as someone I would like to be. Where are you from and where are you going? Are you happy? Are you where you want to be? Tell me how do I find my part in this I've already put all of my heart in this art The art of not making it Ashley, how are you doing? I am doing pretty great, I have to say. How are you, Tiffany? <laughs> I'm good. I saw, okay, on, I, I I went on your Facebook and I saw that you said that you've been a bit emotional. Uh, as of the time oh, yes. of this recording, we're, what, <laughs> a week before rehearsals? Is that right? Um, yes, I, we have a, we have a press event tomorrow, but rehearsals proper for me are going to start on Friday. I um, see. And uh, I'm actually just curious, like how... I'm curious about just like the technical aspect of it, like what you do to prepare and the, the weeks, the months leading up, um, as well as, you know, just emotionally, like how you're taking care of yourself. Um, great questions. Yeah. Well, the first and foremost thing was finding a, finding a new apartment and mm-hmm. putting my name on a lease for the very first time in my life. Cause all my life I've either lived with parents, subletted or, had, you know, an employer pay for housing or be away at college. Mm -hmm. So I picked the worst time in history to learn how to (laughs) sign my own lease. And it was chaotic as I know it always is. And I finally got to experience it firsthand, but it's great. I found a lovely studio and I was able to finally move my cats in earlier this week. So Mm -hmm. we're all settled in. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the self-care aspect and the emotional preparation has just been me preparing my ideal space because now I have this space. It's all mine. I'm just, 
I'm finally able to prioritize what I want to do with this space, how mm-hmm. I want to feel in this space. Um, you know, just have nobody else to answer to when I want to put something somewhere. <laughs> um, well, I have my cats to answer to, but other than that, just me. Um, as for physical preparation, um, I back in February when we were doing uh, the tier three workshop um, and the production was putting me up in a hotel because I hadn't moved yet. Mm-hmm. I started, well, actually restarted because I did it years ago. I started going to a hot yoga studio nearby and I was struggling with, uh, I guess it technically wasn't long COVID, but I had gotten COVID in October. Actually, that was, as you probably heard, why our Syracuse run got cut short because there was an outbreak of COVID. Right. And I was really struggling with recovery from that. Um, And going to the hot yoga classes really helped sort of rewire my neural pathways to realize that, hey, I can breathe now. I am healed now. And it helped me kind of get in my body. And, you know, it was a good way to exercise, but also to relax. And, you know, your heart rate goes up, but it didn't leave you breathless. So now I've started doing that again because I moved very close to that studio. Oh, so that's been So that's been a good uh, routine to get back into. Um, it's hot and it's humid and it's really good for the voice, uh, helps to open up my, um, my airways, helps my body remember the proper way to breathe, the proper way to let go of tension. And yeah. And yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, honestly, that sounds, that sounds like the perfect setup because you know what to do for your body to take care of it. I actually... Um, I've never tried hot yoga, but this is making me a little bit nostalgic. Ashley, when we first met, um, what was it like 10 years ago? I, I think remember- like, I think more like 11. Cause it was, yeah, it was like 10 or 11. Cause it was the West side story tour. Oh, is that what it was? I, I think didn't even it, remember. The I want to say, I want to say it was like 2011 or 12, I think 2012. Okay. Yeah. I just remember <laughs> that you were such a warm person and like, I don't know. I think auditions can be like. I don't know when you don't feel in control and you're seeing so many people and everyone's got, everyone seems like they're amazingly talented and beautiful and has all everything that you wish you had in that moment. Um, you know, it brings out like an insecure side of everybody, I think. Yeah. But but yeah, it was such a lovely, um, interaction with you. And I think we just met in this very crowded space. I think it was at Ripley Greer. Um, and we were like, you know what, let's just go warm up together. And then I remember we warmed up, we like got a studio and warmed up. Yeah. We split the practice room and then we traded vocalizing exercises. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the reason this makes me nostalgic is, uh, I remember also we were like talking about like our personal warm ups and like vocal techniques and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I remember, um, you know, which actually over the course of several years later, I was thinking more about of just like placement and like, um, forward placement and like the exercises you were using for that. Um, but the reason I think about that too, is like, uh, working out for me has always been really great for, uh, for just kind of like set, setting the body and, um, just like feeling, I guess, like solid and grounded, but it yeah, also yeah. for some reason does clear up everything, but I, I haven't done yoga. I tend to do more, um, 
like, I don't know, like Zumba or like more like dancey stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is me similar to like 11 years ago. Where I'm like, I'm going to note that. And then watch two years from now, I'll be like really into hot yoga. But it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a very unique experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do try it, just be aware it's it's not necessarily for everybody yeah, <laughs> um, because it is pretty intense. But what I will say is the very first time I tried it and it was the original like Bikram 90 minute sequence, which is still like my favorite one to do um, because you get to really go deep into the poses and kind of correct yourself. And the heat just forces you to slow down. Mm-hmm. And get into your body and get um, like dig deep into the flexibility that you might not have even known was available to you. And I remember my first time I spent the last 20 minutes feeling certain that I was going to die, faint <laughs> and or puke. Yeah, But yeah. I had done my research beforehand and they said the key is to just stay in the room until it's over, you know, just you know, you don't have to do everything to its fullest expression, just stay in the room. And so I did. And then when I finally left, I felt just a lightness that I hadn't mm-hmm. felt since I was a kid. I felt like I could run and jump and like swim in the pool. Like I was, you know, eight years old again. I love this. Okay. Well, you've sold it. Um, <laughs> They're going to be like, wow, so many people are now doing hot yoga. Um, but yeah, no, I will definitely try it. I do think, though, I will feel like I'm dying um, and struggling probably much earlier than you did. I'll, it'll be pretty mm-hmm. quick. Um, <laughs> do you have any other routines that you do? Um, I'm just always curious about this. Like I have another friend, um, and when he made his Broadway debut in Hamilton, I was so, so stoked for him. But he likes to journal. So he likes mm-hmm. to like free write and just like not think about anything. And and so like I bought him a journal as his like opening night gift. Um, do you have like things that you like to do like that or journal or other creative things to get away or get out of your head? I definitely do a lot of journaling, and I have yeah. been since I was – basically old enough to write. Mm-hmm. And I was working actually with a therapist through BetterHelp for a while. Um, I don't I don't think she's on the platform anymore, but it was actually the most effective therapy I've ever had because rather than sitting in a room and feeling pressured to like come up with things to say, I could respond to what she was saying on my own time. I'd have a record of the conversation Mm. and it really helped me process it better. Um, so, you know, journaling solo does accomplish pieces of that, but it definitely does help to have someone to bounce it off of. So yeah, I've been doing a lot more, uh, doing a lot more writing, um, in that sense too. And in terms of other routines, um, I like to try to make a routine of making breakfast for myself every morning. I love that. I'm the same way. I need just something in the morning as far yeah. as like, whether it's even just sitting down with like tea or coffee and just, just being quiet for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. That sounds good. I, um, yeah, I, for me, um, writing, I've always been hypercritical of myself and, um, in like a very toxic way. And like, uh, just cause you're so honest with your show and everything. I'll, I'll be honest here. I, um, I got diagnosed like 
year and a half ago with like CPTSD and it kind of really mm-hmm. lined up a lot of dots where I was like, oh, okay. So this is why I have the behaviors I do and things. So I've been trying to embrace like um, writing more, but with my therapist, what I do is I always like keep like a bit of a journal of like just specific, it's not like emotional. It's just like beats of things that happened or thoughts I had. Mm-hmm. And then we talk through it and then I'll re, re uh, look at that. And then I have that book and then I have one where I do try to free write. So I was just curious. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. That's interesting that you say just, you know, you're writing down observations of things that are happening to you and things that you're experiencing without overthinking them in that moment. I think that can be a really beneficial tool, especially if you're coping with any kind of trauma, which, you know, everybody is to some extent. Yeah. And just, you know, giving yourself a place to observe it acknowledge it, but then not necessarily live inside of it. Yeah. You can always take it out later and unpack it more when you have the time and the emotional energy and the support systems in place. Yeah. I like to think of it, and I've said this to my therapist, it almost feels kind of like the same uh, impact as meditation of just like having an awareness of it and then just like acknowledging it and then like maybe throwing it away or, or just like saying, I don't need that right now. So there is something about like when it's so ingrained in um, your subconscious and your behaviors mm-hmm. where you, you're not even realizing the steps that took you to get there. I think like having that acknowledgement like through writing it to almost takes it away from being a personal part of yourself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something that you have, not something that you are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of related to, um, uh, Ashley, you had mentioned in the beginning, cause I was like, Oh, are there any questions you had for me or something? And you had brought up the whole, um, like, why is this called the art of not making it? Um, and I was like, you know what, well, I'll bring it up in the conversation, but I won't, you know, everything needs to be authentic in the talk. So I'll, I'll wait mm-hmm. till then. But, um, yeah. So the reason for the art of not making it being the title, which, um, I still stand by the reasons for it and like what it, represents, but it's kind of representing the artistic journey of like, you know, I think especially when you are earnest and starting out in whatever artistic field you're in, you, you think that there's like a making it point and you think that, you know, that there's going to be a certain exact like contract or a certain like day. And then you'll be like, yes, I have made it. And I do think that there are moments that, um, show your work and your efforts and, you know, certainly a Broadway debut, those sort of things are to be celebrated and are so exciting but you and your sense of self as an artist continues to change and more regardless of these outside factors. So um, the art of not making it, most of my guests are people who the outside would consider successful or, um, you know, admirable. And they are, they've created these amazing pieces and um, are a part of like projects much bigger than themselves, but they themselves are still on their own journey. So that's pretty mm-hmm. much what it's about. Um, but I, I have talked to some people and the art of not making it also sounds though like there is an end point of view. They've never made it. And I don't think that's yeah. what it is either. Um, but I think it's a, a, definitely a conversation starter of like, why do we keep doing what we're doing? Cause it is definitely difficult. And I know for you, Ashley, um, there was probably a lot of points before you reached, um, uh, how to dance in Ohio where, you know, there's self-doubt or there's, there's, um, just being exhausted from like the hustle of it and believing in yourself when maybe it doesn't seem like there's outside factors saying, you mm-hmm. know, keep going. Um, do you mind if we talk about that a little bit? Like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's an excellent way of explaining it. And I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And 
I think the pandemic in particular forced a lot of people in the performing arts to figure out who they are outside of their careers Mm -hmm. and who they are outside of their resumes Yeah, because it can be so easy to, um, to outsource validation and to hinge your sense of self-worth on what's on your resume or what you can show to other people to prove that you are this thing. Mm -hmm. And when you are put in a situation suddenly where, Oh, there isn't any Broadway, Mm -hmm. the idea of, Oh, I'm not on Broadway suddenly doesn't seem as scary. It seems like, Oh, well, no one's on Broadway. We are all people outside of being Broadway stars you know being musical theater performers we are uh, we are other things too Mm -hmm. and I always say with how to dance in Ohio because that was the first theatrical thing that I booked after the pandemic I think for me it was a really beautiful case of if you love something let it go and if it comes back it was meant to be yeah and the, you know it wasn't that i consciously had to that i consciously let it go or that i wanted to let it go it was we were in a global pandemic and live theater was shut down for almost 2 years and i had no choice but to let it go and to look at other things and to figure out who else i am mhm and then when that project came my way it really felt like, oh, this is what I've been working towards. Because during that shutdown time, I was digging deeper than I had ever dug before into the autism diagnosis that I had gotten over 10 years ago and never wanted to look at and never wanted to acknowledge and felt too um, stigmatized and just was dealing with a lot of internalized ableism about autism and about myself and not wanting to look at it, not wanting to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't done that work to learn and to unlearn, then I never would have heard about how to dance in Ohio. It never would have come into my life. Nobody would have known to send me the audition notice. Nobody would have thought of me for that. Yeah. Yeah. And So it just, it really feels like God had a plan and it was all sort of just, it was all meant to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you're you're so right. When you say the art of not making it, I think also it's just, it's not about making it or not. It's about who you are in the in-betweens. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. In the in-between, you know, in between the gigs, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, people who are you know, way more famous and have way more Broadway credits, credits than any of us still have those in between periods. Yeah. And what do you do when you're not making it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, I did want to say it does feel like fate from the outside watching this. Um, and I think, I, I don't even know if I said, but I, uh, before when we didn't have it recording, I was just telling you how happy I am for you and how, you know, you definitely deserve this and you've worked really hard and, I I think what's really special about the show is it just like, I I think it's just going to impact so many people. Like I was just like looking at the story behind it and, you know, I know it's based off of the HBO documentary um, of the same name and just like, that was a thing for me. I grew up um, in a very small town and had no one who was creative around me or artistic. And, you know, I think that's why I fell in love with Broadway was like, I 
could escape into it. And, um, but it was so far away. Like I couldn't go to New York and actually see these shows. So, you know, um, uh, yeah, it was just always really special to me. And I remember like next normal, I was like, oh, wow, I can see Natalie, like myself and, and Natalie and, you know, different things like that. But, um, yeah, your show feels very, very special. And I'm just so excited that it's getting, uh, getting a life on Broadway where more people can see it. Um, how early in were you, um, in the developmental stage? I know you were at Syracuse stage production last year. Um, so, this show's journey from first draft to Broadway is, mm-hmm. I think it must probably have set some kind of record for shows that aren't like, you know, the mega musicals or, you know, Back to the Future or whatever. Because I auditioned for the very first reading over Zoom in September of 2021. Wow. And the very first reading in New York city and the the seven of us, the core autistic characters were all cast from that reading and we did it in New York city in October of 2021. And I mean, I just had such a good feeling about the material from the get go from the creative team. It just, it felt like a really special project and I said, you know, someday this could, this could be something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just was not prepared for how quickly it all happened. Um, but I was not surprised because even in the first draft, it was already an excellent play. And uh, the music was beautiful. The lyrics were beautiful. Just, it was, it was just begging to have the right actors flesh out these seven characters and Mm -hmm. bring in an authentic autistic cultural experience not Mm. like autism as a collection of traits but autism as a culture autism as an expression um about an, an expression of individuality and diversity with like real human beings with names and faces and personalities mm-hmm. and then in February of 2022 I got a text from Rebecca Grimalosic who is the book writer and lyricist and she said heads up uh Syracuse stage has commissioned our show for the fall of this year are you interested and I'm like obviously I'm interested yes mm-hmm. and then and then we did we did a workshop in New York City in June of last year, and that's where a lot of the um, a lot of a lot of changes were made that really made me sit up and pay attention and say, "Oh, this could be on Broadway next year." Mm-hmm. You know, people always ask, you know, when's the moment you knew it was going to Broadway? It's like, well you know, when's the moment I knew or when's the moment I felt like I could tell people I knew without them thinking I was being crazy and narcissistic. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you but, just knew you in your know, gut. You I were just, like, this is- I knew in my gut, I heard the material and I knew it in my gut. And it was, I think when we, when we premiered at Syracuse after the first public performances, Um, Because Syracuse, the students at Syracuse could attend the previews for free. We had students who attended all of the previews and then bought tickets to see it again. (laughs) That's amazing. We had, 
we had, we were supposed to have, I want to say 18 performances total. We only had maybe half of them before Mm -hmm. COVID shut us down. Mm -hmm. In that time, we already had like people sending us fan art. Yeah. I remember that playing out um, (laughs) at that time. It just, just feeling, feeling the love and feeling the response and from, from the autistic community in particular, you know, Mm -hmm. people reached out to us in, you know, our, our DMS on Instagram, just, that's when I felt like this is not just a good musical. This is not just a marketable musical. Mm -hmm. This is a disciple making musical. This is a show that people see and they want to tell everybody they know about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like that. And I haven't even had the chance to see it, but I've been following its journey since uh, last year when you were in Syracuse. And yeah, it, it just has a special, it feels like there isn't anything that's really told these sort of stories and um, mm-hmm. has the sort of representation. And it, it feels just very authentic. Like even the website, um, like, like I was saying, you know, the fact that you talk about ableism and, you know, autism and provide resources, like if it has a lot of heart to it. And, um, yeah, and I think those are the shows that people feel the most impacted by. So I'm really, really excited to see it. Um, regarding this, it's much faster too, for people who aren't aware of like developmental stages of musicals, usually they can take like five, six years and like, they don't even end up to Broadway. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, I don't know, become something people can, can get the rights to for their theater. And then they, you know, maybe hopefully, do like off Broadway, hopefully, you know? So yeah, it was really in, in February of this last year, um, we were doing the tier three development workshop, which for the Mm -hmm. less theatrically inclined people out there, that's the kind of contract that you get if there's an imminent production contract. Mm -hmm. And we found out about that maybe at the end of October of last year, like weeks after the Syracuse production closed. And Mm -hmm. that's when I was like, okay, I better think about moving to New York now. (laughs) Like seriously think about it. And I felt like such a, an arrogant jerk sometimes talking to other people about what I was doing. Cause you know, to anybody who's ever spent any amount of time in this business, they know that it like stuff doesn't happen this fast. Maybe like, you know, are you sure you're moving now? Like nothing ever goes to Broadway this fast. And then I'm like, Regina George. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> no, no, I, definitely not. I think it, it definitely doesn't come across that way to me. I think it's, um, you know, the longer I'm in this business too, is I do think that, you know, having confidence that it, at some point, in some ways it is a job. So there is this like separation of just like knowing the steps and like what is actually happening contractually and like, mm-hmm the, the backing of, you know, production and all that, you know, it's not confident to be talking about like, you know, contracts, I think for actors too, like, this isn't what we're talking about, but just even like negotiating your contract and knowing your worth, like how we're having the strike right now. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think these things are so important and necessary and it's not arrogance to, to be, you know, saying what the standard is of what that is or what the next step is. But yeah, I think like, you know, the fact that people are responding so strongly, that's the number one thing you need for like to show that backers um, should be supporting this for like a, a extended or larger run. So no, I think you were just listening to your gut. And actually I think that's really admirable. Do you always have a good gut with like productions or like knowing if it works or it doesn't, or do you kind of try to take a backseat and just kind of, you know, not get too attached either way or how do you like to navigate that? 
you know, that's just, that's a really, that's a really rabbit hole question. It is, yeah. <laughs> because actually at the time that we met, I was working on an original musical that I had written mm-hmm. and it was, it was again, something I had an excellent gut feeling about Mm-hmm. but I was a lot younger and a lot less experienced and I at least knew what I didn't know. Yeah. And that was the hard part was knowing what I didn't know. And the people that I was working with on that project all really believed in it too. So I almost, I felt like I had to, I felt a little pressured to not lie to them, but a pressure to try to live up to what everybody else's high expectations were, you know, to the best of my ability. I didn't want to be the person who promised them everything on a silver platter and then was unable to deliver. But I also didn't want to say, you know, you're all stupid for believing in this thing that I wrote, you know, (laughs) nobody wants to be that person. Um, and it ended really heartbreakingly, um, of, close friends that I was working with on it. Um, we just had a, a major falling out, um, and it just mm-hmm. destroyed the entire, the entire dream really. And it took a really long time for me to, to recover from that. I, I don't really think I have recovered in a way. So yeah. there is definitely a little bit of trauma brain that comes with, Oh, you know, you want to, you know, it's like, it's like entering a new relationship. You, you mm-hmm. want to be excited about this. You want to trust you know, the good things, but then there's always that voice in the back of your head. That's like, you know, what if this is going to be like the last time and yeah. you just, you just gotta, you know, it's like we said before, you gotta write it down, acknowledge it and then put it away. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. can take it out later to cry about at 3am when you can't sleep if you need to, but then you put it away again. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was going to say, um, you know, just from the outside, I, I, there's so many nuances and specifics that I'm sure you experienced in that fallout and, you know, with something that you're so passionate about and you've got a team behind it. So it makes sense that you would mourn that even today. Like, you know, it's, it's, you, so much of yourself was in it, but yeah. I bet you it was like over time, like if you revisit that, that musical or whatever you do in the future, um, I'm sure you're going to like take things specifically from that and like apply that. So I'm sure it was yeah, valuable yeah. to you. I, I also am. Oh, developing no doubt. And, yeah. I'm, I'm developing and working on my own musical as well. And it's uh tricky because you, you, the team is so important. Um, like everyone needs it's to get everything. along. And, yeah, it really is. And, and it's um hard to be like, not, you don't want to be precious with it, but you do want to make sure like you're getting the right people along mm-hmm. for the ride. So, yeah. So I, I get it. I think that's like, honestly, most musicals behind the scenes, like there's a lot of that kind of struggle. Um, yeah. and it does seem like from the outside, um, how to dance in Ohio seems like a very thoughtful, positive group. Like, it seems like that's actually part of the reason it probably moved so quickly. It you know, like I was just going to say that's exactly yeah the reason behind it, it moving so quickly aside from it just Mm -hmm. being a great piece of work, these producers and this creative team have worked so hard and so meticulously to create an environment where 
people are welcome and affirmed, Mm -hmm. but also an environment where people don't have to feel afraid or tentative to speak out if something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. It just, they've, they've encouraged open dialogue about so many things that actors are never taught to think about, like our own needs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's just, I think, I think the lasting legacy of this show, I hope anyway, is not just going to be the material itself, the show itself, but I think it's going to be, I think this is just such a great blueprint for how theater should be made behind mm-hmm. the scenes and yeah. the kinds of people and the kinds of attitudes that you, that you bring into the process and you know, and make it all about the right things and make it, make sure everybody wants the same things and wants the right things. You know, even if you have differing ideas about how to get there, you can talk about that, but you know, your care for the material and your care for one another just trumps everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I, you could definitely feel that. I, I think you're right. It's just like, that's, there's no question that that's a contribution for how it's been moving so quickly and you know what something I bet you I've ranted to you about this before Ashley just like in personal life I've always been very frustrated with Broadway shows of the past I think it got better with Hamilton and um, there was a transitional page of like or turn where people started to have these conversations but you know of just having not diverse storytelling and then not casting the diverse people that you need to authentically tell those stories that was always a big problem I had specifically, um, I think I had a problem with Broadway specifically because I, I knew they could do better. I think film is always a little bit behind because of, um, I don't know, there's Hollywood is a completely different thing, but I always was like, Broadway. I don't know. I don't know if it's super different. I think, yeah, I think they both should be held accountable for sure. Um, but it's, you know, it's so much more specific than that because yeah, I think, I think a pitfall of people trying to tell more diverse stories Mm -hmm. is, you know, they, you know, you hire people of color, but then you don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. You know, you put, you paint it, you paint it to look like, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, but it's all, you know, you're not really doing the work. You're hiring the DEI you know, positions, and then you're not doing any of the things they're telling you to do and not Mm -hmm. even listening to them. It's really, I I think it's less about prioritizing diversity Mm -hmm. than prioritizing equity. Because if you prioritize equity, diversity will follow. Yes, that was perfectly said. Yeah, that's that's much better than what I was trying to like say. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it's also very simple and it would make mm-hmm. the work better. I think it would lead to actually more success for a lot of these projects as well. It's just always been very frustrating. And I think Broadway by its nature has a lot of heart. Like that community has mm-hmm. a lot of heart. It's not as glamorous as like some of these other industries. It doesn't make as much, you know, it's people do it because they love it. Um, and so... I just, you know, I, I'm just so happy for shows like yours, like How to Dance in Ohio, because I think that's a good representation of like, yes, that's exactly what we should be saying. And, um, yeah. Well, it's, um, kind of, kind of expanding on that a little. Yeah. If you're, um, one of the things that really this 
process and this experience with this show has made me unpack about myself mm-hmm. is how cynical I had become about the industry and people's mm-hmm. intentions. And it just, it kind of made me realize there are more allies out there than you think. Yeah. And you can't just have a knee jerk reaction like, oh, they're not going to get it. They're not going to support it. They're not going to listen to me. You just, you can't go in with that assumption mm-hmm. because people can sense that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, my, my work in the advocacy circles, I still consider myself pretty new in terms of advocacy work in this respect. But something that I've learned um, from friends in different advocacy circles, uh, particularly a, a good friend of mine, uh, Kristen Birdsong, who's currently playing Simba on the National Tour of the Lion King. Mm-hmm. So I... I met him doing a production of Jesus Christ Superstar and he was Jesus and it was the most appropriate casting ever because (laughs) I don't think anybody other than like Jesus himself has taught me more about what advocacy should be. And he was the one who really kind of got me to examine the privilege I experienced as a white person and, you know, didn't, make it a personal attack. He's like, Mm -hmm. here, you know, I can tell that you care about this. I'm not going to tell you to, oh, you know, you need to do your own research. You need to do this. You need to do that. He created actually a Facebook group for a bunch of us where we could Mm -hmm. just sit and talk privately about race relations and, you know, responding to incidents of racially motivated police brutality and just examining uh, the political aspect of it and, you know, what we wanted to do. And, and th- he just made us feel like there were no stupid questions, even mm-hmm. though sometimes there are stupid questions looking back and <laughs> like, Oh my God, that was such a stupid question. But yeah. I, I, I just, that taught me that I don't want to be the kind of advocate quote, quote unquote advocate who punishes somebody for being new to a conversation. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You know, because yeah. everybody's been new to a conversation like that at some point, no matter who you are or where you're from. And nobody wants to feel punished for asking questions. You yeah. don't want to make somebody the enemy because of the fact that they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's amazing that you had um him to kind of like show that as an example. Um mm-hmm. and then regarding um how to dance in Ohio, uh for the role of Jessica, how how much work did you do researching? Cause she's based off a real person, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't actually watch the documentary until after I got the part. Okay. I just, I didn't want any thing to get in the way of my own instincts about this character. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to fall into traps of imitation. And I also didn't want my own internalized ableism to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, yes, I'm autistic, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 20. I never had specific, like autism specific therapy growing up. I never experienced anything like that. And I think I had an idea in my head of like the kinds of people who did. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I could relate to that. So 
I was just like, you know what? That's something I need to acknowledge about myself and just like trust my instincts about this character. And then I can watch the documentary. And then when I did watch the documentary and I saw who Jessica was, what I, the best way I can think of to explain it is I felt like I was watching an iteration of myself that I never knew I was allowed to be. Mm-hmm. And I just had such a respect for how open and vulnerable she was willing to be about her life and her struggles and her dreams and her goals. Mm -hmm. And I saw so much of myself in, in that, but I saw a part of myself that I never really knew I was allowed to explore in a public sense. Mm-hmm. And that really, really got to me. And then I actually finally got to meet her when she came to Syracuse. Mm. And then I really got to hang out with her and get to know her, her personality and more of, you know, her fun side. And it was very, very clear that, oh, we have, we are kindred spirits. <laughs> we have, we have matching energies. Like I can completely see where this casting choice came from because the writers and the producers had spent time with the documentary participants and other people at Amigo Family Counseling. Mm. And they had explained to them their intentions in creating the musical. You know, they all understood that, you know, they're not casting people who are going to imitate you. They're not casting people who are going to be the exact same version of you that you are. Um, but I think they did a really good job of sort of debriefing um, those people on what was going to be expected of us as actors. And I think it just made for a really healthy balance between the energy of the documentary participants Mm-hmm. that the characters are based on and our stories as actors and what we brought to it. And I, when we met Caroline and Jessica at Syracuse, I just, I felt like they got it and they were so happy with it. And that was really the biggest relief for me. Cause the thing I was the most nervous about was, you know, how are these people going to feel seeing themselves represented on stage by us? Yeah. Yeah. And just to know that she, to know that she was so enthusiastic and so supportive and continues to be that that's the best. (laughs) Yeah. I I could imagine it being um, very stressful if you didn't get to meet her yet or you didn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, I think part of what's good about it is to, this is like, it seems like a fairly joyful show and um, heartfelt show, you know? So it's not, um, I'm sure it's more difficult maybe for someone who's like, having someone who's maybe more of a complex individual as far as morality, maybe. Um, yeah, but Jessica sounds well, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that's interesting because when you say complex morality, I think all the, of the core autistic seven, I think we're all there. Mm-hmm. There are things that are likable about us and mm-hmm. things that are not so likable about us. I think it's very, it's, it's a very three dimensional characterization. Mm-hmm. There are, there are good sides and there are not so good sides. It's not just one or the other and there's struggle and there's joy. It's not just one or the other. It's, um, and uh, you know, that's, you know, it's important to make sure that 
you know, anytime you're doing something that's based on a real person, you are respecting their three dimensionality as well. Yeah. Even if, even if you don't have everything in common with that person, just understand they are an entire person. It's not just, it's not all you, it's not stuff you're making up. It's, it's you and them. It's two entire three-dimensional people coming together to create this three-dimensional character. How many times did I say three-dimensional? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that, that's such a good point. Um, I, I guess like uh, the fact that they've seen it at Syracuse though. So you already know that they see themselves in it and it's like um, mm-hmm. well represented as opposed to, I guess, like, say someone is playing someone who's an inmate and you know, they, you may not get mm-hmm. to have the same dialogue. Like, I think that's really, really special that, um, that they're, they're seeing it and they see themselves in it. And, but you're able to also have that com- communication with the production team and, you know, find like what feels right to you with what's on the page. And, um, I think what's also very tricky and, um, you know, I haven't seen the stage production, uh, yet, but I can't wait to see it is, um, you know, you only have such a allotted amount of time to kind of make sure people feel the intentions and, um, what each scene is needing and, um, like the arc of that character. So, you know, I think like that on top of a real person on top of like, you know, a documentary has hours and hours of footage that I'm yes. sure did not make the cut. You know, I think it's really interesting how you were able to weave that all in. Um, and it sounds like it was done very well, but very thoughtfully and intentionally too. Yeah. I think the, prepping in terms of, um, you know, Rebecca and Jacob, the the writers and composers and the Mm -hmm. producers, the process of talking to Dr. Amigo and talking to the documentary participants and talking to other people who are at the counseling center who were not in the documentary Mm -hmm. and really just getting to know them. I think they, the fact that they spent the most time on that. Yeah in like the preliminary phases of writing the show, I think that, I think they spent more time on that than they have with us Mm. actually, which, but you know, the foundation was so important and establishing that, um, that level of transparency and that level of care was a priority for them from the get go. And I think that is a major reason why, this show has seen the success that it's seen on the um, behind the scenes level. Yeah. You know, I think it's going to translate to a commercial level, but you know, it's the community that they created that really makes this special. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems like it. And, um, and then Ashley uh, regarding this as well. Um, I know, like I said, we're right before Broadway rehearsals and everything like that. Is there um, anything that I, uh, I don't know anything that you have as a goal over the duration of your run or like, um, and by goal, I mean, just like maybe artistically or just like self care, anything like that of just like you're prepping for, it's going to be kind of like, um, a marathon a little bit once you start. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you been, um, kind of preparing or, um, I know you moved, you, you're, you got your cats. You got your morning routine, you got your hot yoga. Um, but mentally, like I think the waiting until you can start running with with it on the marathon, um, you know, how do you kind of just mentally prepare for that? That's a great question. Um, to answer the first part of your question in terms yeah. of goals for myself throughout mm-hmm. this process, I think a goal for me is 
to get out of my head mm-hmm. about the attention that we're getting because you know the fact that now this show has such heightened visibility it's kind of making me come face to face with a lot of my own insecurities that I've shoved under the rug for a long time. Yeah. You know, that's what happens when you see your entire likeness plastered on the side of a Broadway theater. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, you know, who do I even call to ask for advice about that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's how do I, how do I process that? And I think it's just, you know, it's, it's like we said earlier, it's, letting the feelings come, acknowledging them, honoring them. And then, you know, whatever they are, positive, negative in between, they don't have to define my entire day. Mm -hmm. They don't have to define the entire process. I think the goal is to just let the, let, let my love for this material and this show and this craft spill out into everything I do, mm-hmm. but then also leave work at work. Don't yeah. bring it home any more than I need to, because that's, I think something that a lot of actors struggle with because, you know, everybody wants to make a living doing what they love, but you know, when you've spent, you know, you spent your childhood doing this and mm-hmm. it's something you do after school, it's something you do as a secondary thing. It's the thing that you escape to and the thing that you run to. Then all of a sudden it becomes the primary thing. I think it's easy to forget that you're also supposed to have a life outside of the thing. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to what we said about the pandemic. It made people realize, oh yeah, I have to, I have to have a life outside of these things because, because it's necessary and sometimes we have no choice. Um, so I think, you know, maintaining a work-life balance and, you know, that's kind of the buzzword, you know, mm-hmm. going around. Um, but it, it really is so important because what you realize is it makes your work better if it's not the only thing that you do. Yeah. And even the other work that I do in the industry, I was actually talking about this with our, our voice coach on staff, um, is making sure that I keep my voice flexible and I keep my acting muscles flexible so that, you know, cause I'm going to be playing Jessica now eight times a week. I want to make sure I can remember how to play other characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh Krista Rodriguez had us, um, an interview where she said something very similar where she's like, whenever she's in a show, she does like, I don't want to speak for her, but I think she said in the interview that she does like the complete opposite in her personal life. Like she'll mm-hmm. like, if she's in a contemporary show, she does more legit musical. Um, it's great work. advice. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes the person, sense. the person that made me think of it was um, Gerard Canonico, who at this time last year, I think was doing almost famous and, you know, he's been on Broadway since he was a kid mm-hmm. and he's done like every track in every show. And I was doing, um, uh, a charity concert with him. We were just talking and he said, it's always the one-off concerts that mess with my head mm-hmm. because I'm so used to doing this exact thing every single day. And then I have to wrench my brain around doing, you know, even if it's a song I know or a song that I've done before, if I haven't done it in a while, it, 
it kind of messes with you. And I thought, that's a good thing for me to think about. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think like, that's the thing is like, people forget like your human needs and your human insecurities and all that doesn't really mm-hmm. change. Um, perhaps that's so true. Oh my God. So yeah, it's like you almost <laughs> have to play catch up of being like, Oh no, this hasn't like internally all of my stuff that I carry with me, all my insecurities, all my doubts, all my, it's still there. Uh, it doesn't yeah. magically disappear. Yeah. But now I have a billboard or I have like more opinions I have to navigate or, um, yeah. Or, or you got the thing that you always dreamed of, you know? So how do you deal with even the mentality of that? And, but it's not just a dream anymore. It's a reality. It's like an actual address that you're going to and you have your routine to get there and your walk and, you know, so yeah, I think this is so exciting for you, but, um, it sounds like you're going to be in a good place when, when the show starts, uh, rehearsals and yeah. Um, and then, uh, regarding this as well, um, just a couple like last wrap up questions. Um, the show, does it, um, begin previews or does it open November 15th? Just want to make we sure. We start I previews it. November 15th and oh. we open on December 10th. Very exciting. So it's going to be right for the holidays, the holiday scene. Um, and, uh, perfect. And then, uh, regarding this, um, is there anything else you want people to know about the show? It's really good. <laughs> I believe that. I can't wait to see it. And I'm just, I've, I've done a lot of shows and I've done a mm-hmm. lot of really good shows. This is a really good show. Yeah. Just the, the quality of the material. You know, people, I, I think sometimes people have a seed of doubt, like, oh, are, do they think they're going to sell this on the fact that, oh, it's seven autistic actors playing seven autistic characters you know, it, it, are, are they going to sell it on the representation? And like, no. sure, we're going to sell it on the representation, but also it's a really good show. It is. Yeah. Um, I was blown good. away by the music I've heard so far. Like I'm, I'm excited to hear the full, uh, the full uh, show in its entirety and its order, but yeah, everything looks great. Even just like the cast and what they're bringing to it. Um, it seems like such a talented group and everyone seems very like they're just giving their heart and their soul to it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can just tell, like, I'm just so excited. And, um, yeah. And then Ashley, is there anything else you want to pitch that you're doing or anything people can follow, um, that what you're up to? Your journey um, so funny story. Yeah. In November of 2020, I published an op-ed that went mildly viral mm-hmm. about autistic representation in the media. And, you know, it was you know, height of the pandemic still, I was unemployed, living with my mom, had nothing better to do. So I applied to be talent on Cameo because I was like, let me just see if I can squeeze every last monetization (laughs) opportunity out of this 15 minutes of fame. And I completely forgot about it. I think it was this the same day that we were told you're going to Broadway. I got an email saying, hey, Cameo approved you as talent. And I was like, what? That's so funny. Really? Wow. Yeah. So I, I set it up and I got a couple of requ- I actually just got one. I got to do when we're done here. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, yeah, if anybody wants a mildly niche famous Broadway type <laughs> person to, to, uh, give somebody a shout out, um, I was saying, I was saying, you know, if you want somebody to be like, Hey, I, I heard you have an autism diagnosis. Congratulations. Um, I'm, I'm that person. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'll keep that as a note if, if there's anyone I can pass along to. And um, yeah, and any closing closing thoughts or any of anything else you want to share? Um, 
Tiffany, you're so great. I'm so glad we've kept in touch from that day in Ripley all those years ago. And um, we can talk about hot yoga very soon. If you're uh, at it's the studio is a little bit of a reach from where you are, but okay, I'll 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 talk about Uh, that later. No worries. We have so many mutual friends too that like didn't know we knew each other as well. Like uh, Serpy was telling me how much he loves you. So. We'll talk Literally, about it. We'll one, hang. Of my favorite, one of my favorite humans in community theater. He actually came out to see it in Syracuse. I know. He told I me think. that he was like, the show is really, really special. He's like, yeah, um, yeah. He didn't even know you were doing this uh, interview, but he was just like, yeah, actually, <laughs> this the show is special. Like, it, it makes perfect sense. It's had the route that it's had. So, um, mm-hmm. and then actually, you know what? Let's ask one fun question. What's your favorite musical, Ashley, besides your own? Uh-oh. <laughs> You know, that's, again, that's such a rabbit hole question because it's like, do I pick the musical that I love the most based on the merit of the material, favorite show that I've been in, favorite show? You can list them all because I I could do the same. We could just, this will be our closer. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, somebody just put a gun to my head and made me pick one. Mm -hmm. Little Shop of Horrors is high on the list. Have you done that show? I've done it twice, actually. Nice. I was an excruciatingly white urchin in 2011. I was a last-minute replacement. The director, the director was black, and he was like, "I don't care. I as long as you can sing and don't make a complete idiot of yourself." Uh huh. So, and then um, in 2016, I was Audrey, and it was. It's one of those shows where it's just the perfect balance of everything. The music is great. The characters are interesting. Nobody is really all that good of a person mm-hmm. <laughs> in that in that show. That's true. It's, yeah, it's like the moral ambiguity is endlessly fascinating to me. I'm a sucker for the moral ambiguity stories, um, and it's funny. And yeah. it's just it's just it's just so good. It's a good show, and it's last. <laughs> I mean, it's so the test of time. It's yep. just fresh and good as it was before. Yeah. Um, is there any other ones you want to list? I just love talking about musicals. So, <laughs> no, I mean, I I would hope so. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a podcast. Yeah, about I, them. I, we end this. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I I think there's something to be said for the stories that you know don't necessarily touch on the serious topics, but are just pure fun. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at something like you look at something like the music man, or you look at something like Xanadu, another one of my favorite roles I've ever played. I would mm-hmm. play here until the day I die. It's just something, something to be said for those shows that are just, they, they can have a deeper thought line and a deeper, a deeper, a deeper um, heart but they're also just, you go to see it and you just feel joy. You just feel yeah. total joy. I think that's, you know, we, we talk a lot about shows that tackle the issues. Mm-hmm. And I think we overthink that sometimes. I think there's so much value in just a show that's pure fun. I agree. I agree. So bring, bring back fun is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, we, I we got the parade revival. We got the merrily we roll along revival. We've we we have we've had the depressing shows, and you know they're yeah. excellent. But you know, there's a place, about, there's a place mm-hmm. for fun too. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about parade just last night, and how 
excellent it is and how much I it love is the so music. good. I was like, yeah, but I mean, you don't, I don't go there say to have a bad, but no, 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 it's but so you don't, good. you don't go there to have a, a like a, a good fun time. time. <laughs> and, if, <laughs> and if you do, you're going to be traumatized. Yeah. 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 It, it, we will, it will change that for you very quickly. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Sondheim fan. So I was like, what's mm-hmm. the most fun Sondheim? And I will say a little night music. So mm. there we go. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ashley. You're the best. And I appreciate you being on. Thank you so much, Tiffany. This was so fun. I'm glad we got to do it. Come back anytime. Come back like at the six month mark, one year mark, cast album release. (laughs) Keep it going. Yeah. You know, well, you can talk to me whenever. It's, you know, I'll be here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll we'll reconnect. But um, that's it. Hey, I think of you as someone I would like to be. Tell me how do I find my part in this I've already put all of my heart in this art The art of not making it